Welcome to Empower Dash 2021. My name is Ashley Turner and I am your podcast host who is a domestic violence survivor and is here to empower you to say fuck you to your adversity and go from being a survivor of your life to thriving in your life. So let's get straight into this shit. Welcome back to Empower Dash episode. Today's guest is all the way in LA. Her name is Billy. She's sharing her story about being in love with a narcissist who is still trying to take her through the courts. She has been battling the courts for seven plus years. She's got like debt up to her bloody head completely. I think she even says that she's in like $1 million worth of debt. She's house hopping to escape him to make sure that he doesn't track her down. She's in LA at the moment, but she was living in Brisbane, Queensland And this guy that she was in love with is a businessman here in Queensland and is still based here from what she has told me. But I love this story because it's completely different to any other story that I have had on this show. She really goes into the depths of what it's like to be with a narcissist and the little mind games he poured on her and how he flaunted all his money and... Oh, just the behind the scenes with her experiences, but most importantly, that she's still not out of this. Like, she has escaped him out of that relationship, but he is still suing her for like hundreds of things just because he has the money just to sue her. It is like incredible, this story. Like, it really blew my mind just to think that the power these people have with lots of money and what they can do to other people human beings like I don't know you'll understand when you hear her story and what I'm talking about but I will shut up now and I will let you hear it for yourself so let's get talking to Billy I'm super excited because I think this is completely different I haven't had a story like this this is why I like it it's going to give a different perspective on things um and ultimately it's a it is domestic violence but it's just a different perception and you've got a different story from what I've had online as well when you're still struggling with the aftermath when most of mine as you said have actually escaped and that's it kind of thing so this will be interesting I escaped seven years ago seven years ago but I haven't escaped like I'm still in it he's suing my mom right now I got engaged in 2017. He sued the man I got engaged to. For what? How can you sue someone? This is what I need you to understand about not saying his name. You can sue anyone for anything. And when you have as much money as his father has now, and he's an only child that will inherit it, he has access to all those funds. Anyone can sue anyone for anything at any time. It's just whether or not you can afford the attorneys. Wow. I'm bankrupt. Mm. Yeah, I, that's why I said I've been in hiding. Like, he has enough money to hire a hitman and murder me, and no one would ever know the difference. Well, let's take it back right from the start, because this is going to be a very interesting topic. With start right from the start, how did you meet this person? How did you end up in a relationship with who's now the devil in your eyes? Like, I love hearing people's journey when they first go in, rose-colored you know, glasses, it's all great, and then it turns to shit. So take us back. Take us through that. Yeah. Uh, so we met in 2009, and the GFC, like my company had been on the hiring freeze. I had completely switched to 
industries uh, had you know lost everything due to a different industry. So I was working on Rodeo Drive, had a, a really good job for my age, and he has cousins all through the UK, and uh, his even though they his family's from like the Blue Mountains, but his dad took a job when he was like three in Queensland, so he basically grew up in Brisbane. And but they have these cousins all over, and they were really good about making sure that all the cousins grew up together. So this might sound strange, but his cousin's childhood best friend in Edinburgh was my neighbor in West Hollywood. And so he came out, one of his best friends from Gregory Terrace. So I don't know if you know the schools for your kid in the area. It's one of the old boys schools. Because mm-hmm. you're from WA, right? Yeah, I'm a Darwin girl, but yeah, born in Perth. Oh, oh okay. So uh, my dad's business partner, one of them's from, from uh, Scarborough. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of a school... I do know one out there. Anyways, it's that uh, old boy public school, you know. And, uh, yeah, so one of those boys married a girl from Texas. And so they came to L.A. to, like, party before they went to this wedding. And uh, and we met and didn't think anything about it. it to me, it was like a, a transaction. He was, he was very smart, uh, but I didn't think there was any attraction. Also... Uh, I was just, I was working over a hundred hours a week at that point. I was pulling all-nighters in a hotel and babysitting. I mean, it was just a really hard time in my life. I was in a lot of debt and um, had broken off my first engagement. So in that situation, didn't think anything about it for the first six months. And then he emailed me and said, uh, hey, I'm coming back to town. Do you want to grab dinner? And real standard, like, to again, thinking, thinking of what was to come. It's like, he invited me to dinner. My girlfriend's like, well, is it a date? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. This doesn't seem like a date, but I don't know if it's a date. And they were like, let us know when you get there. So I get there and there's five, six people. So I'm like, oh no, to, you know, out to group chat. No, it's not a date. There's some people here. So we go to this fancy dinner and everyone's snorting blow. And I, I mean like up and down to the bathroom. And I'm like, okay, this is definitely not my jam. So when I tried to pull my salad, you know, everybody's drinking. I can't afford to be out drinking at the bazaar in, in, this is in Beverly Hills. Like, so I ordered like the cheapest salad and just drank water and tried to like, pull while he was in the bathroom, tried to like pull the waiter aside and he saw me and he picked up the bill for the whole table. Like, I don't know, at least $800. And then said that he wanted to leave with me. And, um, and I was like, your friends, you just bought them. And he's like, no, 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 I just want to go with you. We'll get the car. We'll get the car. And, um, that was kind of like a precursor now that I'm realizing. So I, that night was like, look, I am not in the drug. It's totally cool with me. If you are like, I'm from LA. I totally get it. That's your jam. Not judging. But um, that's not my thing. He's like, no, no, no. Like, I'm in my 30s now. I need to grow up. That was just because, you know, I've been in London and in finance, everyone does it. And uh, yes, that was that was a start. So we, basically, he he started coming back more. So we dated long distance between London and L.A. And uh, then he would send me tickets to come visit him. Uh, next thing you knew, his parents happened to be in Europe. So then I'm meeting his parents spending the day in London with them and 
Um, for me, like both sides of my family are in LA. So by proxy, he, he started mixing in and being at family events with me. And uh, then he was trying to get me to move to the UK, but I had debt. And I was like, look, I can't get a visa. I, if I try to transfer within my company, that's probably going to take two to three years. And um, he was like, well, let me, let me just, I'll pay off your debt. And I was like, no, that's bad juju. Like that was debt from my first engagement. I'm not, I'm not bringing that shit into the new one. And uh, yeah, and so I ended up paying off everything. I was on a real tight schedule. I worked my ass off. I did four or five jobs at a time. And, um, and then I literally woke up one morning to a text message that said, Hey, uh, moving to Australia. Hope you want to come with. Yeah. I, I, I'm sorry. You're basic. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it was just, it was really confronting because well, it, was, it was very surprising. First of all, that's the, that's the, it's confronting because that's a really big choice to me. I've never been to Australia when I moved there. And then, um, and also like, it just came out of left field. He'd been wanting me to move to London. He was obsessed with, he would brag all the time. Oh, within an hour of leaving my desk at Canary Wharf, I can be in another country. This is the best lifestyle. And to just wake up and be like, oh yeah, moving home to Australia. Like, hope you want to come. And so like that kind of opened the door to that conversation. And I was like, look at the same problem. I, I don't have a visa to work there. And randomly, I was working for a New Zealand based company at this point. <laughs> but we were in LA, like I was in the LA office. And um, so like, again, transfer isn't an option, at least not at that point. And he's like, no, 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 there's this visa. It's called the de facto marriage visa. And I called off my first engagement. So I was like, <gasps> De facto marriage, like, I don't know what that is, but like, no, I don't know marriage, no marriage. <laughs> he was like, yeah, no, relax, relax. It's like just legal and um, it just takes two years. We just live together, merge our finances for a year and then apply and then the next year you get it. And I was like, huh? So he came over. Um, he wanted me to just like meet him over there. Like, no. I'm like, no, no, no. So we're going to talk about this. So I made him come back. He was actually really upset with me because I missed his cousin's wedding uh, in Blue Mountain. And I was like, I'm sorry, man. Like, I feel like I am just at ground zero from putting my life back together from the last crazy guy. And um, who I thought was like the worst I would ever endure in my life, right? <laughs> and he's actually a sweetheart. <laughs> himself in the end like no he, I'm still it's different when you can forgive someone you, you can forgive someone and still choose to have a really strong boundary and that's that's where I'm at we had some really tough conversations I actually I don't think we talk about this in the podcast um I should say sorry I don't think we talk about this in a crazy little thing called law but um I wouldn't, I would, the reason I wouldn't go to the wedding is because I wasn't genuinely consider, considering moving to Australia until we um, kind of got this hashed out with my ex. I, I, I had so much hate left in myself for him that I was like, look, I can't be with you yet. And so I reached out to that guy and was like, that was some crazy shit. <laughs> and I'm 
struggling to move on. So if if we can, I mean, we hashed it out probably for like, we would meet for like a movie because that was the industry we were in together and we, we loved that. So we would meet for a movie and he had gotten a DUI and had spent time in jail so he had no license. So then I would drive him back from the theater and we would sit in the car and just like, I would scream at him and remind him of all the horrible things he did to me. And I, and we would both be crying and not too long into like doing that once a week, it really just lifted. And he was like, you have got to forgive me. He's like, I was horrible to you and I'm so sorry, but I've forgiven me. I've forgiven you for all the ways that you hurt me that you didn't even know. And I've forgiven me for all the horrible things that I've done to you because we have to move on with our lives. And, um, and he was right as fucked up as a family as he comes from. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I would not move to Australia without having that. I mean, I have emails specifically saying to the, the narc, I, I can't fully commit myself to you until I get this done. And he was patient with me. So I, once I got through that, it was September 14, 2010. I literally still have it. It's Word Dog, and it's in some silly, childish, I'm 24 years old font, right? Like, I would never type in that font. <laughs> but I, it was like four pages long, and I read out every bad thing that people complained about me, like every stupid decision I've made, all the things that the first fiance complained about, my parents complained about, my friends complained about. I was like, this is the shitty, this is the stuff people don't want you to see when you're first together. And I read him this four page thing. He wanted to go out like a fancy dinner to convince me to go to move to Australia. And I was like, no, no, no. We're sitting in the hotel room, we're getting takeout pizza. You're lucky a bottle of wine and we're hashing it out. <laughs> and uh, and we did it. And I was so naive at the time and I had been so hurt that I, I didn't realize I wasn't receiving any of those things back from him because I was so insecure and like just putting myself back out there that, to, that his, his response was literally, it was so simple. He was like, yeah, he, he like leaned back and he was like, I, I find those things endearing. And that was probably, I mean, just the, the full acceptance of that. There was no caveat that went with it, you know? And now that I know the narcissistic cycle, it's like, okay, well, God, I had such like low expectations at that point. Is that the fucking love bomb? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I find it in here. I find your bad habits in here. So we moved to Oz. Uh, sorry, he got there a couple weeks before me, and basically on that that night, September fourteenth, I agreed to sublet my apartment because rent control for us in LA is a big deal. If you have rent control, <laughs> like you do not want to be giving that up. So uh, my roommate's brother had been talking about moving out, and I was like, all right. So I negotiated with him and I said, what if we do a tourist visa, gives me 90 days. Um, him and all his friends from England were meeting in Thailand for a big trip for like three and a half weeks. So I was like, he really wanted me to be there for that. I'm like, perfect. That will reset my visa. So we'll get four months together, which is the most time we've ever spent together to figure out if this is going to work or not. And I threw that out to my roommate and said, do you want to let your brother sublet? my room with my furniture um 
and just see how we go performance. And they were totally down for it. It was perfect. That way we both had the option. If either one of us wasn't into it, somebody had that rent control. <laughs> so we did it. We were totally in love, best friends. Everything was great. Uh, we were living with his parents in Kenmore. <laughs> like, I mean, oh my gosh. And then his family has a, um, has a flat in St. Lucia that was unfurnished. My parents came to visit and it was the floods. Do you remember the two? Were you in Brazil in 2011? No, but I know all about it. Oh my God. We did not have electricity six, seven weeks. Like it was horrendous because we were right in St. Lucia, right? Our building got flooded. Um, all the fuse boxes were in the bottom. It was a nightmare. So when in the middle of the flood, first we got stranded up the Stephanie Coast, my dad and the narc's dad use these, they get these maps out and they figure out these back roads because the Bruce Highway flooded. We have to go around these like back roads in the way of hinterland and they get us back to Brizzy. But now my parents, his parents, him and I are all in the house we grew up in, which is, you know, like a standard suburban Queensland. <laughs> so I'm literally sleeping on a pullout trundle with Star Wars sheets, but, it, but we had just moved. So all the boxes were there, so it would only open. I'm sleeping on, like, two feet of mattress. <laughs> it was hilarious. Anyway, that's the thing. It's like everything was an adventure. Yeah, so I didn't know. That night, September 14th, I said, look, I have just gotten myself to a good place. I can't risk that. I love the people I work for. Like, my boss sent me on this retreat to a meditation center trying to get me to stay in California. Like, please don't leave. And I was like, I don't think I can risk that. I don't want to give up my job. I've got this great apartment. And he was like, what if I put $50,000 in a savings account for you so that if we don't work out, you have a salary for the year to put your life back together? And I was like, oh, my God. Like, way too much money. I can't, I can't take that from you. And he was like, don't worry. If I couldn't afford it, I wouldn't offer it. And I'm trying to remember if he gave me the number then, or if I still just didn't know. He basically told me, look, I'm moving home to Australia because my parents bribed me. My dad's selling his shares in this company. We're fine for money. I can easily afford 50,000. Now he might have told me that night. I don't, I mean, this is going back, oh my gosh, over 10 years ago. So I, I, whether it was then or whether it was later, I know he ended up getting bribed $8 million to move home to Australia, which is why he just decided overnight. So then the 50000 didn't seem so crazy. But me being me, I don't give a fuck about the money. All I wanted was like the security. Um, I ended up not even taking it. I just was like, okay, if you're willing to make it, if someone openly offers you that, I, I wouldn't, my word is law. Mm -hmm. I would never offer something that I won't back up. And then if I can't back it up, which is the position I'm in right now, I, I owe, oh my God, I owe six figures of debt. And I am openly having to have those conversations. I've had them all with each bank I've taken a loan from or like credit card I, I have I have nothing right now because my own government has bankrupted me because this crazy narcissist has sued me into bankruptcy over seven 
years. But I still have those conversations. In the beginning, I would answer the phone. Yes, I know. I know I owe you money. No, I can't make this. No, I'm sorry. You know, now I don't. Like after months of that, I was like, this isn't even worth the conversation because it's a different person that calls every time. It's not like a single. But if someone is looking you in the eye saying, I want to make sure you're okay. I didn't think I needed, I didn't then. <laughs> now I would not even <laughs> play with the idea. I'm like, nope, nope, money where your mouth is or I don't even believe you. <laughs> Write that shit down, put it in an email, got to see it. But anyway, um, so yeah, so I moved over totally in love. So things were great. And I came back and my roommate's brother loved LA and he wanted to stay. And so the negotiation that I had with the narcissist was, I said, look, if we're really going to do this, like if we really want to get married and have babies and like this is going to be our thing, because I'm not a baby person, but he was very adamant he wanted kids. I was like, look, I'll do all the heavy lifting up front, no problem, but like don't think I'm going to give up my work for the rest of my life to be a mommy. Like that's not my jam. So, and he was totally cool with that. And um, I said, also, if we're going to have kids, they, we, we have to have a house in California. Because at this point, now that I'm over there, I'm understanding like, oh no, we can afford that. We're fine. You know, and, and, and I'm not a big spender anyway. I would rather have a place where we can stay. And if all our money is there, no problem. And we have to work for, to pay for, for a holiday or whatever, that's fine. Um, but I was like, look, if I'm going to be over there, I would have to have my kids know my family and how I grew up in my culture. So he agreed. And the agreement was, we had to buy a house in LA for me to give up the apartment and be with him. So, so the initial agreement was, he said that night, September 14th, I need to go set everything up for, for my family's company. So doing the investments, it's going to take me like a year, maybe 18 months. If you focus on building that with me, we will then have the resources to fund your production company. Then we can live anywhere we want. We can go back to London. We can be in LA if that's what you need for work. He's like, I always wanted to live in Tokyo. I, I'm like, okay, that's cool. I can easily give you 18 months to, to be in this partnership, 100%. I'll, you get this 18 months, then I get whatever I need to build my company, you know? And uh, so he, everything was moving along. I went and put my stuff in like a little pod and my roommate's brother took right over and I was back in Oz. We started property shopping about 18 months later, bought a condo, nothing fancy. I mean, it was, we were looking in 2011, which was the bottom of our property market after the bubble and the whole drama. So to get, like when I would tell people we paid 416,000 us dollars for our condo in West Hollywood, no one can believe me. <laughs> like, that's impossible. I mean, I mean, they're, they're worth th that unit is worth twice that now. So, um, yeah, so that all went according to plan. Um, just like he said, the day we got there before we flew out to Bangkok, um, he picked me up at Brizzy airport. My first time ever in Australia drove me back to Kenmore. I tried to have like a 20 minute nap. He's like, no, no, come on, jet lag, like get in the car. And then his dad and me and him went to the office. And from the office, we walked, um, the office then was in Riparian Tower. I don't know if you work in the city. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we were in Riparian before we moved to Emirates House. And uh, anyway, from there, we walked right down to Queen Street to HSBC and opened our joint account. 
that day, like he was so serious. He's like, I talked to the family lawyer. These are all the things that immigration looks for, for us to be de facto married. So like that day I was on his American Express card, his David Jones, his visa, uh, he had the joint account, like everything. He just, he knew all the steps and we were off to the races. When you think about it now, it actually sounds scary. Like when you're in the moment though, you're like, oh, this guy's got it all under control. But now when you step back from domestic violence, you're like, holy shit, there are so many red flags with that story. Yep, totally. I was 24, you know? And the other thing is, like my family, my parents were entrepreneurs before that was cool. Like my mom traveled through India, Asia, South America, when she was in her 20s alone, when women didn't do that in the 70s, you know? Like my grandmother opened the first, a yoga studio with my mom in the seventies. Like they, we are an alternative lifestyle anyway. So, and, and we have good character. So I agree with you looking back, it's like red flags, but I grew up in these bizarre situations mm. living in the desert in Mexico and then Indonesia and then the Bahamas. Like I didn't, yeah. Oh, I just didn't know that people had, that maliciousness. The only maliciousness I had endured was that first fiance who was from the wrong side of the tracks in Providence, Rhode Island, which by the way, the nickname didn't know at the time is crime town. Like you didn't know any of that. It's like the King's cross, you know, <laughs> but not as fun. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I agree with you looking back now, but for how I was raised, mm. It was just another, just another adventure. But that's narcissist as well, though. He's already calculated how you've been grown up, what are the signs, how he can get in. Like, he's worked it all out. So he knew exactly what what buttons to press for you. So when you, you, know, you moved here in that, when did the red flag start really happening for you? Yeah, it, um, I usually say it took about two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, like, because then the money started arriving in ways that like like who knows it could have happened in one bloody transfer that I don't know what the date was but it started when I say arriving in moments where I was like holy shit are you sure we can afford that and it was just like oh yeah no problem oh yeah like the whole time we've been looking at houses in Brizzy so he asked me before I'd ever stepped foot on Australian soil do you want to live in Sydney or Brisbane and I was like I don't know. We're only going to be there a year. I don't care. Like, you pick. Right? And to me, it's like, you can buy a house somewhere. You don't have to live there. So to me, it was like, yeah, sure. Invest invest the money in whatever. I don't care if you buy a house wherever you buy a house. Like, I, you told me we were only going to be living there a year. So then I assume it's just going to be a rental property. Mm-hmm. You know? So, uh, we, I started... There's a family flat in um, in Sydney, downtown in the CBD, and it was a four minute walk from my brother's childhood best friend and his wife. He had married an Aussie in um, oh my gosh, where'd they live? Super cool place that I've never been, which still upsets me. <gasps> I can't think of it right now. Anyway, they met in Europe and then moved back because Australia, hello, island of plenty, like the most amazing lifestyle that it's just beautiful socialized medicine affordable living wage like 
yeah, it's just the island of plenty. I love it. Um, yeah, so I, I started to realize that I didn't belong in Brisbane. People were very mean to me in Brisbane. I, I came across such, in retrospect, jealousy, not just from women. This is what's crazy. Like, women can be catty, and I am not. I'm not saying that I'm okay with that. It's not okay. Women should be empowering each other. You know, girls like to fight each other or cut each other down. Um, but even his male friends were so cruel to me in Brizzy. Wow. I mean, they would openly look for ways to embarrass me. They would have backhanded compliments about me versus their wife, or it could be, or it could be some girl the narcissist dated, you know, in uni, like just to get under my skin or just to exclude me or to make fun of me as an American or make fun of me of, of like the way that I dressed. And in retrospect, of course, it's jealousy. It's tall poppy syndrome. Mm -hmm. But I didn't know what that was. I wasn't raised with that toxicity. Yeah, that's Australia for you. Yep. Yeah. So, but I didn't have that problem in Sydney. All of his friends' wives in Sydney were, and to this day, are some of my really good friends. <laughs> I mean, I was texting with his old boss this morning. But like, it was, as a matter of fact, I didn't ask if he was doing up that late. But um, yeah, they, they, I mean, there were four CFOs, four female CFOs in the group of women in Sydney that I hung out with. I had my brother's childhood best friend's wife. I had her group of friends to hang out with. There's live music. I was, uh, my brother's childhood best friend works in, uh, oh gosh, did he work for, I think he worked for Fox Australia then or like channel seven or something. So media, which is what my background was. So I, I went for a job. So uh, amongst all this, he, he's telling me, cause I'm traveling with him for work, building this company that I promised to do. And then it was like, oh, I need more time. Oh, I just, I need more time. Okay, so it keeps getting pushed out that we are going to be here a little longer. We are going to be here a little longer. So we buy the place. I'm trying to remember. We, we ended up buying the LA place and the, the Brisbane place. I don't want to say the suburb. I'm like, because it's a small suburb. Yeah. Um, we ended up buying them both very at very similar times. And yeah, uh, by that time, I, I said, no, I don't, I don't want to buy this. I don't, I don't want to own a property in Brisbane. I, I, Sydney is, is, if we're going to live in Australia, this, like this is great, but I need to be in Sydney. We have plenty of places to stay, come up, visit, whatever, stay at the Emporium, like for whatever we need to be here in Brisbane, but I can't live here. So he said, okay, by that point, his parents have bought a new flat two doors down in Sydney. Yeah. So, I mean, hey, that was better than uh, all four of us being in a two-bedroom, two-bath, and I was sleeping on a broken, fold-out couch. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, um, and we, we talk about this in the crazy little thing called law. Then it started to, when I was seeing the things that money were being spent on, but the toxicity where there was no value being put. So, like, we flew business class everywhere. A return, uh, and I was home. He promised my parents that I would be home every quarter. And I think the longest we ever went without seeing them was four months. Like he really did keep that. We, we were home 
every three, four months. And, um, so, I mean, that's, that's $10,000 a person round trip on Qantas, right? And, and yet we're all in this tiny little apartment. And part of that was his parents couldn't find the right place that they wanted to live. And that's a big choice. Totally cool. The concern is the, it was just boxes and boxes of paperwork. It was like, do you know, like the document boxes that have the handles? It was just floor to ceiling. All of that. In this apartment in CBD. And you couldn't move around a lot. And like, it, it, nothing felt welcome. She only had two-seater couches everywhere, his mother. So like, everything was uncomfortable. When we moved into the place in St. Lucia that I was telling you that we were at for the flood. Um, totally not furnished. Huge. Three-bedroom, full washer, dryer, laundry room. Like, like formal dining room, regular, like, but no furniture. And it was built in like 1965. So just really dated. Right. And everyone in the building was 65 or older. So we had like no one to hang out with. And so I just went to Ikea to buy like, like furniture. We literally had bean bags from the Kmart into Wong. Like, <laughs> so, oh, and a bed and the bed was like $10,000 from David Jones. That was the other thing. I didn't understand. Like, we only went to David Jones. I'm not from there. I don't know what DJ's is versus Meyer. Why aren't we buying a mattress in Meyer? It's the same goddamn brand. It's just $2,000 difference, you know? And this was 10 years ago where, like, e-commerce was a lot harder. I mean, the, I remember the price differences in Australia just being obscene. I wouldn't do any shopping unless it was, like, Hue and made in Australia. Mm-hmm. because the import taxes were just so crazy. Um, anyway, how did I notice it? Uh, his mother, he was, he was just a cardboard cutout of himself. So we'd have a conversation and every single Sunday that we were in the same city with his mother, we had dinner with them. And now I'm super family oriented. So I loved it. Like, oh my gosh, and I, because I'm myself. You take me any country, any time of day, in front of any human being wearing any clothes, and I'm Billy Prophet. I don't censor myself. Yes, I curse too much. I heard you say that you curse too much too. <laughs> Psychologically, by the way, it's a sign that you're an honest person, so I take that as you're welcome. You're more <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, um, like, I'm me. And I started to notice that he would make promises to her. And I didn't want to fight with him in front of his mom. But then we get in the car and he'd be like, uh-uh, uh-uh. like, nope, boundary. And then he'd go, oh, I know, I know. I'm like, yeah, so you're going to need to have the conversation with your mother. And then he would say that he did. And then I would, I would start to find out that, no, he did actually do it. She asked. He just lied to me about it. So he was lying to everybody got a different side of the cardboard cutout and then he kept everybody separate so everybody thought something different which mm-hmm. is really helpful when you're in litigation mm-hmm. that's why he's been so successful over seven years wow i, I like that you so, said yeah. that because i can even relate to that they do they tend to isolate certain groups so then you're not associated with certain people. They don't know this side of him, everything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you, I guess, escape that relationship? I gave the narcissist 
what I called the sort your shit year. I was like, okay, you're the big man now. I get it. Like, you've always been the nerd, and now, you know, you've been overlooked or made fun of or whatever. Now you've got all this money. So live it up. Go buy everybody Coke at the party. Go host all the parties. Go bottles in the club. Fuck whatever 21-year-olds you need to. Do whatever you need to do. Get it out of your system. Don't answer to me. Don't answer to your mother. Let's both just take a year. So at this point, we're de facto married. Um, I said, for me, because you lied to me, you brought me down here on false pretenses. You said we'd be here a year. It's now been three and a half. Like, I'm going to sail. I want to sail Sydney to Hobart. And learning how to sail is expensive as shit. <laughs> I can't even tell you. So let's take this year. You're going to pay for all my classes, all my safety equipment. I'm going to be on boats learning. I'm not going to be at work. So you're going to be covering, make sure I've got money for rent. I moved out with his old boss, which was just down the street from our Sydney flat, and said, take a year. Let's both date other people. And then, sorry, the reason it was a year, my citizenship was going to start. Because with a de facto marriage, it's the first two years of the visa are a permanent residency visa. And then after two years, you do like this final interview and it's your citizenship process. So, uh, which is a really big choice to make, you know? And I basically said, I'm not going to do that. If, if we're not looking down the road of real, like a real relationship, marriage and the kids that you want and us sharing our lives together. So we've got a lot to like, figure out before I'm willing to commit to that. And so he agreed. He was like, okay. So I still flew up to Brizzy for some meetings. Uh, and sometimes boats would leave from like Southport. So I would fly up to Brizzy and he'd drive me down to the boat. Um, or like to a crew member who would take me. And uh, and that's what we did. We dated other people. And um, yeah, there's a, a whole segue I could go into that, but I won't right now. Um, it's the way chapter 10 of my book ends. So I'll leave it at that. If anybody's interested, hit me up. I'll tell you the real story. But um, at the end of it, I was like, okay, uh, again, my birthday is uh, smack dab middle of, um, middle of summer. So I had organized for a bunch of our family, friends. I was working back with artists again at that time. I was writing. And the owner of the gallery that I was working for uh, does these walkthroughs of the Art Gallery of New South Wales. So, and a lot of times he'll bring one of the artists that's on display and he'll either sell tickets to big punters or like, uh, he'll auction them in a, like a fundraiser where he'll, he and an artist will walk through and have an actual interactive discussion of whatever it is that's on display. The display for my 28th birthday was called America, the art that shaped a nation. And it had all come over from, I think the Smithsonian, it might've been the Getty, but I think it was the Smithsonian. And it was all the American art that shaped our, our culture when we pulled away from Britain. Totally me, right? So I set it up for like our family, friends, I've got business associates. And his mother surprises him with tickets to the Jaipur Literary Festival. First class and staying at the Ritz-Carlton. So he's like, I can't, I can't not go. And to me, it was like, I was 
really tight with his aunties in Sydney. And there's some friction between uh, not her, or who, I don't even know what her toxic relationship with her siblings is, but I know that with his father's sisters and obviously his father's wife, there had been, I don't even, what's the word? Like, I guess just conflict. But like, but it's, but it's Australia. So it's all passive aggressive, right? Nothing's ever said directly. Yes. So everything that I get are these like whispers of what it used to be like. So of course the aunties are coming and I think she got wind of it and did the surprise. So I now have to renegotiate the weekend that we do this and reschedule with everybody for the following weekend. So I do that, reschedule everybody, standing there in the foyer of the art gallery of New South Wales, front of everybody. And I'm like, hey, hey, did you land? Like, haven't heard from you, just assumed you had to rush to the plane. Oh no, just woke up, so sorry, missed my plane. I mean, knowing him, I don't know if he was up all night doing drugs or was still drunk and hungover, whatever it was, he just completely missed my birthday. And I was like, that's it. Didn't speak to him for a month. And then in February, I finally like cooled off and wrote an email and was like, I, I titled it The Separation of Church and Estate. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it was like, this is what I want from our divorce. I'm going home. This is not what I signed up for. And um, just a side note, not to, not to pat myself too hard on the back, but I did make a crew. And I did finish across the line in Hobart. And How his parents were on the dock in Rush Petters Bay. Yeah, his, I picked that because it was his mother that wanted Brisbane. And I wanted Sydney. And he just did whatever mummy told him because she controls the money. So I picked the most Sydney-centric thing that I could find. And I made that my goal. And on Boxing Day, when she was there with my parents, who had come down to see me off on this dangerous voyage, um, she was, it was the first day in all the years I knew her that she kissed me. Because she's a narcissist. Mm. He's inherited it from his controlling narcissistic mother. She, the minute that she got to get some kind of recognition for me, all of a sudden then I was, I was worthy of her affection. Mm. And my mom brought that up to me. I will not forget. I think we were in Tassie by that time. It was like New Year's. My mom goes, I almost got defensive that this woman who has ruined your life, that she felt she could touch you so affectionately and that she could impose herself in that moment in your life. And I was like, good call, mom. Like, but, but you know, but my mom's very calm and she's a yogi and like, um, externally like we're, sorry not call but we both have a lot of energy but she, she handles those things like and she just observed it and was like something's wrong with that you know um so anyway that obviously that's um the beginning of january my birthday's at the end of january so it was the end of february and i said these are the things that i want going home and uh he wrote back i said i need to know what you want so whatever it is that we need to do to like separate ourselves it was fun. Take care. Um, and he wrote back, I don't want anything. 
And I was like, okay, cool. So let's like figure this out. And then he lied about the dates that he was leaving the country. Again, hello, like I'm friends with everyone. You're like, so I found out, I don't remember if it was like through his goddaughter or like cousins or aunties or whatever it was, I found out he was lying. So I put in there an ultimatum. If you don't tell me where and when we're going to meet to separate our divorce, then um, I'm going to come up to Brisbane when it suits my timeline. And if I don't hear from you by this Friday, like I work at that time, I was in Nature D at, uh, oh my God, Morrison's Oyster Bar. There's all these places that I pray to God, like restaurants and nightclubs are still there when I get back because this COVID is crazy. <laughs> but um, so anyway, I said, I said, I go into work at five, you know, I'll probably get off at like 11. If, you, if there is not an email in my inbox by then, I will come when it suits me. And I did. I kept my word. That Sunday, I flew up. Um, the cheapest flight was early, so I got there at like 7 a.m. Because that whole bloody Queenslanders don't do um, daylight savings. Mm -hmm. And it was super early. And, um, yeah, he was still in bed. And, oh, that was it. It was super dark. Oh, my God. And then... There was a 20-year-old Asian guy in the guest room. And it was like, the poor thing. I, it was weird. Like, everything was dark. I went, I woke up, the narcissist, and was like, hey, I'm here. Like, get up, be grown up. We got shit to do. I told you I was, I was going to be here. And, um, I mean, I walked, it was my house. Like, I walked in, turned Foxtel on, put my favorite jazz channel on, and going through the mail. There were bottles and like boxes of empty beer and shopping bags full of bottles and cans and al hard alcohol from the front door. And this is not a small flat, right? From the front door, wrapped around all the way to the kitchen. And then there were piles in the kitchen. I mean, I don't get it. The recycling was right out in the hallway. Like, why didn't you just go drop it down the chute? Made no sense to me. It was like he was collecting it. Um, but again, now I've learned people that are insecure collect things. Like they want to like have some, I don't know, trophies, even if it's rubbish, right? Like, it doesn't matter. It's this trophy of look at how much I drink or look at how much I party. And, um, yeah, and then I went in, and I had a gut feeling there was someone in my house. I thought there was going to be a girl in our bed when I knocked on the, on the master bedroom door and, and opened it. There wasn't. Um, his eyes were super bloodshot. I will never forget. His gut instinct was he was so, in that first couple seconds, he was so excited to see me. Like, it was like a kid on Christmas, like, like this, like surprise, his best friend was there. Like he was like, oh, hi. And then something like clicked. It was almost like the, the, I don't know, the controlling, like frontal lobe was like, no, she's bad. <laughs> and like, cause I hold them accountable, you know? And, um, and then he, he flipped out, um. I went in, like, like I said, started going through my mail and um, knocked on each door before I opened it. And uh, the office, anything that was mine was stacked up in the office and the door was closed. And then I knocked on the door to open the guest room. And this Asian kid is standing there and he's like, hi, my name is blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I mean, I'm just pissed now. Who the fuck are you? What the fuck are you doing in my house? And he had already explained that, but I was screaming over him. Like, you have not uh, poor thing, I ended up finding out that it, that was the morning of his 21st birthday. 
and you just yell at him. <laughs> oh my god, he, I don't think he even knew who I was. Because this was this was the end of the sort your shit here. Like the narcissist had there were oh my god, there were used condoms all over in like under we had these drawers under our bed, our sheets were dark gray and there were just cum stains all over. It was so disgusting. Like I oh my god. Um uh, anyway, he ended up sexually abusing me that day he like assaulted me so I went back in I would go out to the kitchen you know make coffee and like go to the mail and then come back in and be like Nick oh sorry and then I'd be like get up we've got grown up stuff to do and in one of those times he pulled me in to try to kiss me and then it became like okay like no I'm here we're done and he didn't like it and he pinned me down and he jacked off on me. Yeah. Until he came on my neck. And it was this weird, like, the whole thing was this, like, wrestling struggle. Oh, that was my the only God. time. Yeah, just out of the blue. He did, when we were together, he did used to control sex. Like, we'd, we'd, we'd get ready. I always showered before bed, right? And then, and he'd be like, nope. And he'd like reach over, turn off the light, like close his book, put it down, but it's time to sleep. And then an hour or two later, he'd wake me up ready to go. And, and you know, as a woman, like you don't just fall asleep right away. You've just fallen asleep an hour or two into the night. <laughs> oh my God. I'm actually in shock about that. So how did you do? You escaped, you went back to America. And why is there so much legal battles on at the moment? Like, yeah, so I, I don't know. It started, uh, oh, sorry. So that morning, that, that following, he went out partying. He didn't come back till, I don't know, at least after four in the morning. I got up to have a wee at four and checked, and he still wasn't home. Um, and neither was the young Asian guy. So at that point, um, that next day, he just got up, took a shower, said he was going to the office. But he text messaged me, I think at like 1 p.m. that day. And I'm keeping my, like, I'm packing my stuff in boxes and having the removalists come to ship it overseas to, to my parents' house. That was the main reason I was in Brizzy. I had stuff in Sydney, stuff in Brizzy. I had to pack that up, ship it over, do the same in Sydney. And um, so he messaged me and he said, I, I've been to see a lawyer get out of my house. And I was like, well, I don't know what lawyer you saw, but I'm your de facto wife and this is my house. So I'll be here when you get home. See ya. So he came home early that day and we ended up having this, like really sweet heart to heart in our, in our bedroom. And, uh, I mean, I washed the whole, everything, anything I could touch when he went out partying on that Sunday. Like, sorry, I meant to clarify that clean the whole house. Um, and we had this really beautiful heart to heart and he ended up driving me to be any. And cause I said like, do you want me to call a cab or do you want to go? And he said, I don't have any petrol. So if we stop, and um, he took me to the airport. So last time I was in Brisbane, like, he's the one that dropped me off. And, um, yeah, and he's, I said, what are you thinking about when you're driving there? It's quiet. And he's like, oh, thinking about lawyer stuff. And I was like, oh, like, you're, you're serious. Our divorce is going to take attorneys. And he's like, yeah. I was like, all right. So I went to Sydney, and um, I had been working with a barrister. Have you ever seen Rape? No. Uh, it's a big Oh, it's a show. Uh, it's been on for years. Anyway, the 
the guy, the bear, so that's based on, represents a lot of our artists for, like, getting into trouble. And uh, so I asked him, like, do you, I, apparently I need an attorney. And he's like, don't worry, went to law school with this guy. He's the best one in Sydney. That's what I did, just hired a divorce attorney, or he was a solicitor, divorce solicitor in Darlinghurst. And, um, yeah, started the proceedings. He kept trying to serve Nick. He tried to serve Nick for, he started disappearing on me after about a year. He's like, I can't serve him. Can't serve him. Don't worry. We'll get him served. We'll get him served. I just haven't been able to find him. I can't find him. I can't find him. So I went back 11 months later and was like, to, to meet with the attorney. I was like, dude, what's going on? I have no income. I was never paid any of the money for when I worked for his company. I need income. And I walked away with nothing when I went back to the States, except thank God we had a house. So I had given the tenants enough time to move out. So I was like, look, I need my house back. And so, um, yeah, he tried and tried and then disappeared. He was in his seventies. So I don't know if he's legitimately just senile. I did hear from other attorneys that mine wasn't the only one that he didn't file. But, um, I basically, I mean, it took me, I was, I was virtually comatose for like three days when I realized that everything that I worked for, I was never getting a dollar of. I wasn't getting anything. Not only that, like Nick made all, not only that, the narcissist made all that money and I, I was getting nothing for giving up my life, moving across the world, building his company with him at all the fucking coal conferences and do he give me files of due diligence and I'm like I I don't I'm not a financial modeler like you what do you you have to give me at least give me an Excel sheet that already has the I don't know how to build your Excel formula like you've got to at least give me something you know but um I did the best I could and 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 then I, I realized you know what fuck it money comes and goes fuck it it's not worth all this ugliness so I realized I was getting nothing and I reached out to the narcissist and was like, hey, like, fine. It's, I realized that the lawyers didn't work for me. Let's just be on each other's team. Let's not hate each other. Like, let's just let it go. Forgive, not forget, but like forgive and let go. And we were chatting on WhatsApp, like kind of cool a little bit. And then again, he got super weird, started sending bizarre messages about these young girls and sending pictures through of like how he was kinking with them. And I, yeah, and I just never responded. So then, so that was the end of 2015. The guy I was in love with, but never lived in the same place to, to properly date. Uh, he was killed in an accident in New Zealand. So I, I went into like a, a big spiral for a few months, just super depressed. Um, you know, what's it all for? And, and then, um, that would have been 16. And then in 16, I finished my book and I was going out to publishers and was dating an American guy. And in, and then February 1st, 2017, he sued me. It started with eight complaints of, and, and when you ask what he's suing you for, it's so hard to explain things. I mean, the first eight complaints were like promissory estoppel. Uh, breach of fiduciary duty, breach of implied contract, breach of, I mean, I can list all these things to you, but like, we're not attorneys. So what the fuck does it matter? He was, he was suing me just to sue me. And he sued me claiming that we were at, at the end, by the way, he had amended it so many times that there were 13 
five of those complaints were fraud, different versions of fraud. So then claiming that we were business partners and that our home that I was living in, which we bought as joint tenants because we were de facto married, and it literally says joint tenants on deed, he sued me saying that that wasn't true. And so then I got engaged on the 4th of July, 2017. It was ready to settle. And that guy was like, this is, this is too much. He tried to sue him. So by that time, like we did a trial, the judge, oh my God, there was, I had evidence of him lying to her, but she just said, she basically said in her judgment that, um, and I can't remember the words she used, but she basically said, uh, that she's poor. So she has a lot more to lose. So she's probably lying. He's wealthy. He, he doesn't have as much to lose. So why would he lie? Wow. That's the justice system. Yeah. They identify, like when you have judges, they're, they're wealthy. They have biases that match the wealthy. They recognize themselves. And, and this wasn't just one judge. I list at least four judges that have had open biases toward the narcissist against me in court and that have ignored blatant evidence that the narcissist is lying to them and they've ignored it and gone with him anyway. And I've heard girls on your show talk about this in, in a different capacity in family law about their kids. They've said, I've recorded this conversation. Still, the judge went with, went with the abuser. You know, so that was the first time he then tried to sue the fiance for back rent, claiming, um, yeah, claiming, trying to sue the guy for back rent. He didn't know that that, that man didn't even live in California, didn't live with, you know, with me, didn't, it, um, yeah. So then I'm trying to think that was another, oh God, I've lost track of all the lawsuits. I think there's 11 in total now. And that was just one that I listed, by the way. When there's 11 complaints, that's just one lawsuit. So he sued me. Uh, oh, oh, first he tried to sue me for defamation. It didn't have any legs. So then he did sue me for all the different things of fraud. Then he, um, he tried to sue me for, oh, yeah, the back rent and the fiance. And then, oh, now he's, he's suing me for... Money, the transfers that I've done out of our joint Australian account, but he's suing me in the California courts. Not sure um, how that judge is entertaining that. That is the case from 2018 that the, the judge has, they applied with a 151-page amendment. And I know that you don't deal a lot of legal stuff. That is, I mean, we've had amendments before, and 28 pages is like a lot of legal jargon bullshit to read, right? 151 pages. He had them open it to amend it to include suing me for defamation. And then just in December, they had her, no, October 28, 2020. This is how many years it takes for these things to go through the system, right? I mean, Amended it to include defamation against me. Then they had it amended again, opened up to sue my mother for defamation, claiming my mother has something to do with my podcast. Suing my mom for defamation. My mom wasn't even at home. They then filed fraudulent paperwork saying that they served my mother. My mother was not within 200 miles of her home. She's never seen a service processor. She's never seen the paperwork. And they just turned it in 
complete fraudulent paper. Don't, that was December 22nd, right before Christmas. So I don't know what's happening with that. They just lied. Are they going to get away with it? I don't know. I don't trust the government. I don't trust the judges. When, when This is the trouble with domestic violence once they take it. To me, governments have become, and I mean, obviously, we're blessed, right? We're in the Western world. We're, we're dealing with democratic governments, right? So in third world countries, it's like they just get a disease and they die from the disease, right? Like their citizens die from horrible things all the time because there's just blatant corruption and not enough food because their government doesn't take care of themselves or doesn't take care of its citizens, et cetera. In America and Australia, because I've been in the Australian courts as well, it's like we have an autoimmune disease where the government is actually attacking the people that it is created to and sworn to protect. And that's what I'm experiencing. So I can't get away from this domestic violence because he is using the system that is supposed to be there to protect me against me. And for seven years now, it's working. I literally, for 11 months, I've been in hiding because he has enough money to hire hitman and off me. Oh, and I didn't even include, he sued me in the middle of coronavirus for not, so, so first he filed for an emergency domestic abuse restraining order against me. We, we have never even seen each other since March 10th, 2014, unless it's in front of a judge, right? So the first judge went, what is this bullshit? When there's actually girls getting the shit beat out of them or children or whatever else happening in coronavirus, right? And by the way, that was the only court open during coronavirus with emergency domestic abuse. Okay, so he didn't get what he wanted the first one. He filed a new lawsuit against me for another emergency domestic abuse restraining order. And guess what? The second male, white, old, wealthy judge gave him an emergency domestic abuse restraining order against me for an email I sent announcing my podcast. How? I mean, look, we can... Sorry. We can go over this. I don't want to bore you anymore. <laughs> no, you've got so much content there. We could talk about it for bloody hours. I'm just trying to think of I said punchy questions given the time and stuff like that. But how yeah. what would your advice be for other women going through a similar situation like this? I'm so glad you asked. There's two levels to this. Number one is prevention. One hundred percent prevention. So that's what I'm working on. I've got, uh, I, I'm working on a document right now with a number of women, um, in each country. So in each country, uh, which right now I've got, uh, the U S obviously the UK, Australia, and Argentina in each of those, I have a female attorney who deals with divorce law. I have a female, either coach or therapist who ideally deals with couples and a uh, female financial advisor. We're putting together a document. Have you, do you ever listen to Crime Junkie? No. No, okay. So what Crime Junkie did is they went to local law enforcement, sorry, they went to whatever law enforcement. I know that they're based in Indianapolis, but they compiled with experts. They figured out what is the most important information if someone goes missing to help you find them whether it's domestic violence or anything, of, of someone gets kidnapped, what are the things you need to know? And they compiled a document called If I Go Missing. And it's everything that your family needs to help law enforcement get you back. So what I'm doing is, if I want to get married, file. 
And it is what does a divorce attorney, what does a therapist or a couples counselor or a psychologist, and what does a financial advisor recommend? What, what is everything they need to save you from what I'm going through? So my number one piece of advice is prevention. Have all those things sorted out of this document that we create, which will prevent a lot of these issues. The other thing is there are a lot of women in a situation and it doesn't even have to be with, with a coal baron like me who has endless money to just keep suing me and my loved ones. It really becomes, it, it doesn't. If someone has more money than you, they're going to win in the courts. That's it. Unless it's so bad that you can get like a nonprofit to help you or an attorney who's coming up and wants to make their name to help you. That's it. And I'm sure that a lot of the women that, that deal with custody struggles that, that you talk with, they're going to say the same thing. Like um, one of the episodes I was listening to today, she said she spent two and a half years in the family courts and I think about $70,000, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. So, I mean, I'm, I'm closer to a million and seven years. So... Like, whoever it is, like, if they have anything more than you, they're going to win because they're going to be able to last longer. They can keep an, an attorney filing whatever it is that they need filed for them longer than you. And there, there's no justice in the justice system, not in America. And honestly, I dealt with the Office of the Legal Services Commissioner. I reported that, uh, that divorce solicitor that I hired to, to them saying misconduct. Like, I need you to extend out the two years that I had to serve the narcissist because he's been eluding service and this attorney just went MIA on me and they wrote back, Oh no, we don't see any misconduct. No, sorry. It's it, it doesn't, if you can prevent yourself from getting that situation, hundred percent, if you're already in it and your spouse has more money than you, all I can say is just keep fighting the good fight. And I'm not going to lie to you. It's going to be more money than you ever dreamed of spending. It's going to be harder than you ever imagined. You are going to want to quit more times than you could ever imagine. You just have to, to tell the truth. Tell the truth, tell the truth, tell the truth, and stand up. We've got to get, this is a societal problem. So when, when you talk about, like, I am so grateful that you're, you're having the conversations you're having, especially in Australia. It's a very repressed culture. And until you change that in the culture, the culture, society is what holds the courts accountable. And, and not just courts, like any part of the government, whether it's law enforcement, the courts, um, uh, like who it is that you vote for, the, the laws that are becoming laws, your politicians, every element of that. Society has to care. Life is so easy for us in the Western world that we just don't pay attention. And if it's not happening to our family or someone we love, it's like, oh, not my problem. So, I mean, my advice is care. Care. Like, pay attention. Civilized society doesn't happen unmonitored. And this, what's happening to me could be you. It could be someone else. Yes, I mean, Brisbane has had, what, nine murders since COVID? Nine domestic abuse murders. Most recently is that woman and her three children where he locked them in their house and set it on fire, right? Mm -hmm. It's terrifying. That is a cultural problem. It needs to be addressed. And until enough people stand up and say, this is not okay, I am not going to live in a culture that allows people to be treated like this. 
everybody's just going to keep going on about their day. The government's just going to keep raking in profits. If it was up to me, you shouldn't have to have attorneys in society. You shouldn't have to have accountants to file your taxes. There shouldn't be secret languages to exist in the society. There are right now. But if enough of us stand up and say, no, if you're going to hold me accountable to behave in certain ways and to live by certain laws, I should be able to represent myself. I shouldn't go bankrupt paying someone to speak that secret language and represent me, who, by the way, my attorneys, I just can't afford them. So they make mistakes because they have to make their money somewhere else. So they're paying attention to a client who can afford their services. They're paying attention to that case. They're not missing details on that case because they're getting paid on that case. Not mine. I have to do the research. So now I don't have a life. I'm not drinking wine, having a chat with my mom and my aunties. No. I'm not playing with my nephews. No, I'm not catching up with a girlfriend. No. I'm researching cases that can help me. What would be your top two signs for a narcissist for people? So if they're not dating them, what would be the two red flags to watch out for? I know that so many people have said this and you've said it so many times. It's your gut instinct. I wish that I had something better. And again, you, you don't know what your gut instinct is when you're 19, 25 years old. You just, it, it, you know, you haven't been in therapy. You don't know how to look for those things. And I had been in therapy and I still, um, I still overlooked it for the adventure, I guess. And um, the top two things, the other thing a narcissist will do, um, really be quiet and sit back and watch, watch their integrity. You've really got to be quiet with yourself to see if someone's words match their actions. Yeah, there's a, a baseline behavior, everyone says. You have a baseline natural state. And if you're out of it, the, you know, the cookies will crumble, so to speak, and you will start seeing people acting to their true baseline of behavior, not the mask that they've got. So it takes time. And as you said, you have to sit back really and you have does. to watch it. So I think that's a powerful message. You're so right. We it, can, it, we, it, you it, can only be fake for so long until you go back to your natural state. That's why, I guess, you know, your situation, mine, and you know, other people's is – it doesn't happen straight away. They can keep their mask on for maybe two months, three months, and you might not see it until a year. But if you look back, you would have seen at month two, three, and four, the mask would have slowly been coming off and you would have still, you would have been able to see their true baseline of who they are. So I think that's a powerful message as well. Yeah. You know, watch. <laughs> fake people will be fake people. You'll see it. You're just going to sit back and be patient as well. Yeah, and it really, for me, is that integrity. When someone says something, um, do, does their behavior, do their, and, and even if they do behavior once, it could just be to, like, because they're smart, right? Consistent behavior, consistency. Yes, exactly. But honestly, you've got such a powerful story, and honestly, we probably haven't even had enough time to sit there and go through all the other details. There is so much more layers to that. But I guess for a wrap-up for me, people listening to this, especially outsiders that may not understand what you've gone through, it's the it's not the physical abuse. It's the emotional. It's the psychological. It's the financial abuse. It, and it you know, ended up in sexual abuse as well towards you know the end as well. It's all these things behind the scenes 
that you were going through that makes you feel like you're going fucking crazy as well because you have no idea what's going on and they project it onto you, making feel like it's you that has the problem, but really it's fucking them. So this is a key message around you ain't fucking crazy, number one. Trust your instincts and all these other things that are non-physical actually probably do more damage than people realise. They're the ones that, you know, hurt your heart, the scars and wounds that you have inside. They're not the physical ones. It's the ones you've got to deal with. And your story, which breaks my heart, is you're still fucking going through it. You can't truly Wait, I've got a, I've got a court date next week. Oh, <laughs> there you go. You're still going yeah. through it. So you can't truly move on with your life until you handle all this shit, which is the most frustrating bit because all you want to do is fucking push it aside draw a line in the sand and move forward. But he's just hanging on for whatever reason it is. I have no idea. Um, love to be inside his brain just to figure out why the hell he's doing what he's doing. It's um, very fascinating. Yeah, you said something that I just, I don't want to walk past you, but you said um, you hit me with something that I was just like, yes. And it's, oh, the emotional the emotional scars and the mental, the gaslighting. I agree with you. That's worse because that takes so much longer to get to the bottom of. Those are mind fucks. Mm -hmm. You are in a labyrinth of neural networks that you have to completely rebuild. Yes, if you have physical trauma, it can, you can be scared. Like I have scar tissue in my knee from a motorcycle accident when I was 20. But it was the emotional part of that that scarred me more waking up in the hospital not knowing where I was with people cutting my clothes off that was scarier that was what stuck in my head so like does my knee bug me physically sometimes I agree with you it takes so much longer for for those things to be healed you gotta unfuck your brain basically you gotta yes. re <laughs> you gotta rewire yourself and just step away and go what the fuck actually happened and then you've got to unfuck your brain you've got to unfuck the yeah. trauma all the behaviors all the things that you still learn to do um like a great example i hear from heaps of domestic violence survivors is even being too scared to go out and party kind of thing and oh, men yeah. coming near you because you're terrified of what they're going to do and you still have that even if they're not together, you still have this, oh, shit, he's going to get you, like, kind of thing. He's going to have a fucking meltdown, even though when you're not together. Well, yeah, I don't trust, and it's funny you say that, because, like, the whole COVID thing doesn't bother me at all. Like, since this, like, I I rarely go out. This is, Like, COVID, my life didn't change, other than the fact that I'm homeless and bankrupt. But uh, that's a whole nother story. But, like, I, I don't like being out, because I genuinely don't trust people. It's not even, like, like a man scared. No, it's like, I just, I don't know who's coming at me. We didn't even get into, there is a, a, a career con man with at least five known aliases that showed up on the witness stand for the narcissist in, in a court trial last year. You never know who's, who's like, for me, I never know who he sent to like spy on me or uh, uh, harass my family. So I move every week right now. Just so that I never settle in one place where he can come. Like, we were together for all those years. He knows where all my family is. So I'm constantly on the move. And I just don't trust. Like, people ask me something. And I'm like, 
well, why do you need to know that? You know, or like, why do you want, why do you want my email address for that? Or why, what, what do you need to call me for? It's that defensiveness. Mm. And it's a horrible state like, to live in. You don't want to live like that. Yeah. It's like fight and flight. Yeah. It's, it, you're, uh, it's a hundred percent fight, flight, freeze. You never know like which one. Um, and just to really boggle your mind, he proposed to uh, a girl from Brizzy like 13, 14 months ago now. That poor girl. Right? I tried. Oh, my God. Bless. Yeah. And so, he's still trying to fuck well, with you, but he's got a new partner. Oh, and what, what, what breaks my heart is, like, I if I, if I say your name, as a matter of fact, not even if I say your name, if I speak about you, I don't gossip. My word is law. I will say to your face, exactly what I say to anyone else who asks me about you. I don't talk behind your back. So I openly emailed every single person in my announcement email and said, you get talked about this. Your story is in here. Like innocent people, I, I leave the names out, but like, just so you know, I'm doing this. And I forwarded her a clip where I said her name, found her on Facebook. I said, hey, I live by the golden rule. I treat other people the way I want to be treated. If you were speaking about me, I'd want you to tell me straight to my face. So here's what I speak about you. And I sent her a quip. And she wrote back, please, Billy, just, or she was like, don't, just don't even, Billy, you're not garnering any sympathy from me. And I remember thinking, oh, you poor thing. If you think I'm looking for your pity. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, but she's she's drunk the Kool Aid, and at this point, what breaks my heart for him is he's never gonna know a woman. He's never gonna date a woman who knew him without the money. I was the last one, so I don't know what her motives are. And when we talk about like, what about what goes through their heads, or like what would cause this? Why do it's like I would never make the choices that he has, so I can't get in his head of how did we get here? What does he want? That is it from me. Honestly, I've got so much content there, so much powerful I know, I'm sorry. messages. I try to, I try to give like the upshot or pair down. It's like, how do you do that for seven years? And then, you know, that's like our relationship started eleven years ago. So I'm sorry, but it's there's just so much. There is so much there, and that's what your book is about as well. It opens up about your experience with all that stuff as well, which I will be very excited to read. Um, and understand more about that as well. But you can't, you you fit a lot in for a 30, 40 minute podcast. So I'll do some chopping and changing, that's for sure, yes. to get the key Definitely. messages. But honestly, thank you so much, Billy. Thank you for reaching out. Thank you so much. Keep just like, yes, I so believe in everything you're doing. And I'm so grateful that you're, that you are. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Thank you for being you, staying true to who you are and wanting to change your life and taking action by listening to this podcast today. We are all here to be better humans and to be kind. But remember, empower people, empower others to be the change that they want to see in the world and in their lives. So let's fucking do it.